This is episode 36. You're listening to the All Hazards Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes to give you exclusive access to emergency managers who've been on the front lines of some of the nation's most difficult challenges. Where we have candid conversations about the challenges facing all emergency managers, no matter how big or small the community. Here's your host, Sean Boyd. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the All Hazards Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to turn the mic over to Rob Mayberry. He and Monica Vargas, another PIO from our office, travel north to the Butte County Sheriff's Office to chat with some of the dispatchers there who are on the front lines for the Oroville Spillway emergency. Now, if you don't know, or if you don't remember, there was a massive evacuation of the areas downstream from the Oroville Dam, which, by the way, is the largest dam in the nation. Jennifer Honey and Trina Valley were on duty, and they're going to set the scene for us for what was going on during that day right now. I'll let Jennifer describe for you because she was actually here when it was all happening in her story is much more interesting because I was just at home getting my spa ready for the springtime and she called me and said, hey, guess what? So here, I'll let her tell it. So I'll start on Sunday. Um, it kind of started on Tuesday on the February 7th when the hole was discovered in the main spillway. And then um, as the week progressed and the rains kept coming on Saturday, they were anticipating water going over the emergency spillway, which would be the first time that's ever occurred. So it started going over the emergency spillway and everything seemed fine. So um, on Sunday, I was here in our dispatch center and our call volume was actually low for the day because we're used to having it, having high call volume all week because of the incidents. And so um, it was kind of a normal afternoon and we were sitting in dispatch and the lieutenant called and spoke to my, my partner, Melissa, and I could tell from the look on her face it wasn't good. And he basically told us that we were going to have to prepare to evacuate, that there was possibly going to be a catastrophic failure of the emergency spillway, and that we needed to call everybody in to work. And so that was a surprise to all of us, because at that point, we thought everything was going fine, because the big day was the day before when the water was starting to come over the emergency spillway. And so um, I called Chico Police Department because that's our counterpart who, and I told them we were probably going to have to evacuate and ask them to take our 911 lines when we needed them to. And um, I believe my partner, Melissa, called Trina to brief her on what was going on. And then we had two other dispatchers who started calling in all of our staff. And it was probably about 10 minutes later when the sheriff called and told us to evacuate now. We called Chico and told them we had to evacuate and then called and told our sergeant that was on duty what was going on because it it had progressed really fast and um, I wasn't even sure he was aware of what was going on because he was out in the field handling a call. Then we grabbed all of the equipment we could think we needed and went out to our cars, loaded everything up. Uh, We have a dog that lives in dispatch. I loaded her up in my car. She was excited. She thought she was going for a ride. And uh, we left and we drove to our Chico substation, which is probably about 20 minutes from here. And on the way there, we called every dispatcher in and sent them to different locations. We sent two of them to Chico Police Department 
and we sent uh, two to Butte College because we knew we were going to have mutual aid coming in and the rest went to our Chico substation, which is not a dispatch center. It has phones. It has a push to talk radio and it has um, our CAD system on two computers <laughs> and that's about it. And so, but that's what we had. So we drove there and started started moving desks and establishing our own makeshift dispatch center at our Chico substation. It was very surreal. It was, we've never evacuated before and we were just doing everything on the go. So on a, on a normal day, do you have maybe two or three dispatchers in the office or? We usually have three. I had a trainee with me that day. So we happen to have four dispatchers. Okay. So, um, but you called in the, the entire team, which we called in, of how many? we called our, um, I think we ended up having about 14, 14 dispatchers come in. So I, I wanted to take a step back. So, um, a lot of us who work in emergency management or maybe public safety are familiar with dis the dispatch center and what dispatchers do. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but dispatchers are the lifeline between the community and public safety. Uh, can you kind of just tell us in a nutshell to those who don't know what dispatchers and dispatch centers do in the bigger picture? I don't know. I think you said it pretty well. But, in, and I can't speak for other agencies, but, but at the Sheriff's Department, in our dispatch center, we answer, we have eight designated 911 telephone lines. So when you live in the county of Butte in the unincorporated area and you dial 911 from a landline phone, it's going to come to the Butte County Sheriff's Office. If you live in the city, it's going to go to one of the police departments whose jurisdiction you're in. If you're near the highway but it's hitting a cell tower, it's more than likely going to go to the highway patrol. But again, if you live outside of the, the highway area, it's most likely going to come to the Sheriff's Department and or city, depending how close you are to one. So we answer all those, plus we answer the business lines that come into our, our dispatch center. I think we have something like 13 totals, plus we coordinate with other agencies. We're also listening to a radio system, and so those phone calls that we're taking and dispatching out to the units, we're monitoring what those patrol units do. We send them to calls and keep track of what they're doing. And we're also in charge of the emergency action plans for places like the dam. So when the dam was failing, part of our protocol would have been to pull our books and start making the notifications to the places around us that needed to know that there's an emergency at the dam. Well, we couldn't do that because we were evacuating. So uh, I believe your guys' office ended up making all the notifications for us, Office of Emergency Services. This this county is uh, one of the smaller counties. You would say you have you know um, not a huge dispatch team, but it's pretty impressive and quite amazing to see the way Butte County and uh, you dispatchers, especially the way you seamlessly provided that contingency connection to the public during an emergency to the people on the outside calling 911 they may not have known all of the different moving pieces going on behind the scenes but you guys pulled it off and pretty pretty seamlessly it seems like would you say that what what would you say kind of helped with doing that you guys have trainings plans or just you know the need to serve the community like what what insight can you give dispatchers in other counties that might uh, find themselves in emergency situations. Any tips? 
I think it's really a large part of all of that. And one thing is maintaining good working relationships with your surrounding agencies. We have a good working relationship with all the agencies around us, particularly with Chico PD. They're the, well, they're actually probably a little bit larger agency than us. Like I said, they have a few more dispatch positions than we do even. But keeping communication with them and then having this common phone system really keeps us in constant communication because we monitor and maintain it together. The other big key Part of it is that all of our dispatchers work really well as a team, and a lot of that is due to training, but it's also due to personalities because the people on our team want to be the best at what they do, and so they participate in those trainings. They're engaged. They're active. They're not. I don't have a. You hear a lot of stories about dispatchers and how they're disgruntled or they're on. You know they are all burnt out because of this job stress that they share, and, and that may be true at certain times, but hands down if we need something done in this department you call dispatch and we will get it done for you so what were one of the more memorable calls or something that sticks out well i'm sure there's a bunch of them but the one that sticks out in my mind because we were just barely getting set up when all of a sudden there was radio traffic about the person who'd been hit by a vehicle and it turned out to be that somebody tried to steal the guy's car and so he had chased after it and then the person ran him over and so he had a carjacking that turned into an assault with a deadly weapon because the vehicle with ma massive injuries we needed flight care to come in and so we, I mean we had just barely logged in the computers and taken over the radio when that all happened wow. do you remember anything uh, that's the one that stands out in my mind because all, all of a sudden we hear this we hear this traffic and uh, we need to get help and we had phone numbers written on post-it notes stuck up on cabinets. And so someone yelled, call EMS. So we called EMS. We called Cal Fire. We got a helicopter there. And uh, he was transported to the hospital and he survived. And it was, just, it, it was just an amazing amount of teamwork just on that one call. But there were so many different things that happened. The other thing that I thought was really funny that sticks out in my mind. So Lieutenant Boyd is one of our lieutenants and he charges SWAT. And so he was partnered with Lieutenant Bell and they were kind of coordinating this whole evacuation thing. And Boyd took over the patrol operations side of it to help those guys because they called all of our deputies in too. And I think to a man, there was maybe one person who was out of state, but everybody else came in. They all came in here to help evacuate people. Even if they lived in a safe area, they came in here. So he's coordinating all that. And so at one point, he starts saying that we need buses to transport people. And so we all looked at each other and we're like, we don't have any of our phone numbers to be able to call the bus people. Where are we going to find it? And Jennifer's all, here, I know. So. Yeah, and that's when we called Chico Police Department. We called um, our dispatcher there. And we got the phone number. We called and got the buses. So that's a perfect example, I think, of why they say California has one of the uh, some of the best first responders. It's standing up and stepping up during an emergency and knowing when to seek help from your neighbors and your neighbors also having that same mentality. So that's a perfect example of mutual aid, neighbor helping neighbor, which is the one team, one fight motto of Cal OES. And we see it everywhere. And I think that that mindset and that type of leadership at all levels is what makes California have some of the best first responders. I'd agree with that. And then that brings to mind one that you asked for a tip earlier. One thing, always make sure you have extra cell phone chargers because we use the heck out of our cell phones. But we were all fighting for power on our phones because we kept going back and forth with people. I, I'm curious, um, what was the feelings going on with your own families? My, my family, luckily enough, lives outside of it. We if had the dam broke, I wouldn't have been able to get home because I would have been in Chico and they'd have been here and there wouldn't have been any way to get get to where they are. But that part of it was good. But I think Jen has family that was directly impacted. I have my mom and my sister all live in Orville. And my sister lives in the direct path of where the water would have come. And so um, she's 
she actually evacuated and she prepared, got everything out, uh, forgot her bag. So she had her bag for her pets, her bag for her grandson, did not have her bag for her. So she ended up, she evacuated to a town called Paradise. And so she had to go shopping the next day to buy some, some items that she didn't have. But so she was prepared. She just didn't grab the bag on her way. And um, I actually called my mom and I said, hey, this is, this is happening and I want you to be prepared and I want you to have a plan. And she said, is this really happening? And I said, yes, this is really happening. I have to go now. And I said, can you make sure you talk to my sister? And she said, yes. And then at one point, my brother called me and he lives in the Bay Area. And he said, he starts talking to me about traffic and about the roadways that need to be opened up. And I go, what are you talking about? And he's like, I'm watching it on TV. And it dawned on me at that moment that this was history. This was live. And he was calling me to tell me what he was seeing on TV and how we could correct it. And that was kind of a surreal moment for me because we were doing our thing. We were making, we had a job to do and we weren't aware of what was going on. So that was just, to me, that was kind of like an interesting moment right there. And the reality set in at that point. Yeah. And, you know, I I grew up in this community. I went to school here. I have a lot of friends here and um, I, it's kind of funny because we always knew we had the dam here. You just had no idea that it was a possible danger at some point in the future. And here we are evacuating because of something that's going to happen where we've lived below this dam for years and years. And I don't think anyone had ever thought that this was a possibility. So I'm curious, what is it like to be in the middle of everything and knowing that your family, your friends, your community are being affected by this emergency, but knowing that you have a job to do and a very important job, because if there's not the dispatchers, that is a critical communication that is um, lost to the public. So how does that feel knowing this is happening in your community? These are your streets. These are your towns. But putting all of that aside because you have a job to do. It's really clear that the sense of duty and the sense of public safety and public service was number one at the top of, of your, of your minds doing this job. What was that like being in the middle of it? I can't speak for anybody else, but I know my way of coping at the moment was to not really think about it and just concentrate on the task at hand. What do we need to do in this moment? We need to get our computer system set up. We need to make certain that we have a plan how we're going to get the phone calls in here and we're going to relay stuff so we get a coordinated effort, not just random chaos. And we started finding where are we going to keep our information? How are we going to get our information? Do we have the list of people that we need to get evacuated that have uh, different um, health concerns. So it was just focusing one moment from the next about what needed to be done, checking off the list. It was only afterwards that I started thinking about that and it was like, holy cow, what just happened? So that's my way of coping. And I think it's funny that you asked that because people have asked that of us. And at the time, we had a job to do and that's what we were doing. And I think it's because um, this in, in the job that we do as dispatchers, we handle horrible horrible situations sometimes and we just we handle it with professionalism and we forge ahead and it's after the fact that you start processing what happened and I think that's what happened on this is we get home at four or five in the morning you're like oh that was kind of crazy and then you turn on the tv and you're on CNN and Fox and you're like oh my gosh this this 
this was so much worse than what we thought it was. This could have been, I mean, just when you start processing it, you're like, oh my gosh. But at the time, I'm happy I didn't think that way because we were able to do our job. You should be very proud for the professionalism that you took, and we're, we were all very impressed. See, that's the funny thing about it, because everybody says that, and to me, it does not seem all that amazing to me, because we do it every single day. And, and we're very glad and thankful that nothing did you know, become uh, of the, the incident, and you know, it, it sounds like the community learned a lot. And I, I'm curious, you know, a, a person moving into this community, I, I think your community is now much more prepared for an event, if anything would ever to happen, wildfire, you know, flooding related, anything, um, being able to evacuate, they're much more better prepared. But a person moving in, into this community, what advice would you give them? What's like the first thing you would tell them to do? Definitely sign up for alerts because as we found that that was one of the best ways that people got the information is because they heard those messages. I think the most important thing for anybody going anywhere is always know where you are and what the resources are for you. If you move into the county, make certain that you know what streets are around you. Make sure you know your escape routes. Make sure that you know who to call, you know, beyond 911. If you have a problem, are you going to call the sheriff's department? Are you going to call the police department? You know, have those phone numbers available to you and know where things that you may need, like a hospital, your pharmacy, those are, you know, those things that you, maybe don't want to think about, think about them, deal with them, and then it doesn't have to be a problem for you later on. So we, we were just talking about um, how to be prepared coming out to this community and steps that people can take, such as signing up for alerts. But sometimes in previous conversations that we've had, you mentioned that a lot of the calls to 911 were not real-life emergencies. So... Um, Jennifer, what tips does the public need to know about calling 911? What, what can you share with them that can help them and help dispatchers as well and help others who are trying to reach 911 with emergencies? Any tips? Well, I'll go back to when I was younger. Um, I, I was scared to call 911 unless it was for an, an emergency because that's, that's the way I was taught. And um, especially in major situations like this, um, 911 is for life-threatening emergencies. And we do have we do have seven 911 lines, but that's not much for a big community in a major incident. And we triage those. So if we're if a call comes in that is in progress that we need to handle first, and someone's calling to ask if a road is open, it, that's kind of not appropriate for that time. And um, you may be put on hold so that we can handle a life-threatening emergency. That's going back to what Trina was saying. Know your contacts. Know who. Know the phone number for your local agency. So And know when to call 911 and when not to. Um, not just in disasters, but we've gotten calls on our regular business lines that they should have called 911. It was a situation where we answered it, and it took a little time to get an address and a phone number, and it was something that in the future, we tell them, call 911 if this happens again, because we, we need to get to your call right away. And then um, we get 911 calls where it's not a life-threatening emergency. No, They don't know the phone number for the sheriff's office. They don't know where to find the phone number for the sheriff's office. And so it's a little frustrating sometimes, especially, I'd say, go back to common sense. I mean, is this an emergency? Is this not? I mean, we want to help everybody, but we want to be able to save lives 
and answer your question about the roadway too. So we uh, really thank you for taking the time today to share some really good information and share some good stories um, that you've had about the the incident and what was going on in your minds and out there in the community. I also thank um, both of you and the entire sheriff's department and all public safety uh, personnel and first responders. Uh, California has some of the best public um, public servants and first responders, and and this is a perfect example of it, where your job and your duty to protecting the community is number one, and we appreciate that and your partnership and um, the leadership from your county. And just a reminder to everyone in the public, you know, just remember when it is it is appropriate to call nine one one. Remember when it's not uh, tip to do is. Um, pr- keep your non-emergency contacts in your phone as well. Pre-program them so that if you know you see, you know, something that does need attention, but it's not life or death, have that phone number already saved in your phone. And to any new dispatchers as well, uh, we hope that they're listening to this podcast and can learn a thing or two from these dispatchers who just this year have gained even more experience, uh, not only with the Oroville Dam emergency spillway incident, but two major fires, the Wall Fire and the Ponderosa Fire, which is still going on right now, multiple evacuations, and uh, just continue to learn from Uh, these experiences as you're developing yourself professionally and seeing what others are doing, but also as a private citizen. We're continually learning. And uh, don't forget about your pets. Like uh, Jennifer and Trina mentioned, they have a a dispatch uh, mascot, the dog, in there, which we'll have a picture up of this, of the dog. And pretty sure that that dog has their very own prep kit as well. My thanks to Rob Mayberry for taking over the mic for this episode. Hey, the All Hazards Podcast is just one of the many multimedia products we offer up from the Office of Public Information. Our weekly video shows, Quick Look and Inside Look, delve into one or two topics, giving you a unique perspective into the issues affecting California and often the country. And we publish daily blogs at oesnews.com, as well as daily social media awareness messages and so much more. Too many to mention right now. The team effort includes public information officers Monica Vargas, Jonathan Goodell, Brian May, and Rob Mayberry, multimedia producer and photojournalist John Larimore, and graphic artist Adria Wells. The team is led by Chief Public Information Officer Brad Alexander and Deputy Director Kelly Houston. Remember to subscribe to the All Hazards Podcast at the iTunes or Google Play stores. We'd love to hear what you think about it. And if you have any ideas you'd like to share with us, all you got to do is send them to... Questions at caloes.ca.gov. That is, one more time, questions at caloes.ca.gov. I'm Sean Boyd for everyone here at Cal OES Public Information Office. Thanks for listening. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.